Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Chancery to my Simon Hallett. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are we? I'm very good, much better than last week. It was an eventful week last week for me, but I'm fine fit, I'm good and ready to go. What happened last week? I can't remember. I I was I was poorly last week and I ended up in hospital on a drip for about 12 hours and then was released and then went to see Arctic Monkeys. So I'm not asking for sympathy. I was clearly in a much better state than I was. So that's that, that was it really. It wasn't much else. Are you moaning about it? Mardi bum? <laughs> I, um, that, yeah, that's the sort of thing that can really, it's just killed the mood for the podcast now for me. I, I don't want to carry on. Hang on. I can come up with some more here. Um, how about you just sit down and don't move your chair? Well, I, I don't. I, I am doing that. Um, <laughs> I can't come up with any more. Uh, but otherwise, you keep him well, Justin. Absolutely perfect. I was in Bristol, actually, this week, and I went to see Ashton Gate. I've never been. And I'm surprised at how tight-knit it is in amongst loads of, um, sort of terrace houses. They've done a really good job with it. I've never, I've never been, so I was, I was remarkably surprised by it. I was Wait, why, why were you at Ashton Gate? I went for a run. I was, I was working down in Bristol, and I went for a run. Oh, went, right. Went okay. to see the stadium. Went for a run. That was it. I was just really surprised, but you know, fair play to those people who live in those houses who have to experience loud match days because it's literally ten meters away. Yeah, loud I, match days um, and concerts. I have friends who live in Bristol and they say it's very loud there when Bristol City actually score a goal, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but it's also quite loud when the rugby's on as well. So you don't get a weekend's rest whenever no. you live near Ashton Gate. It's always noisy around there. But anyway, let's talk about some championship football. Justin, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for thank you for joining us wherever you are. And this is your weekly news roundup here i was thinking oh there hasn't been much news might be able to do something a bit different in this episode but no it has all kicked off once again this week so we've got plenty to talk about in this news roundup um we'll talk about what's happened at sheffield wednesday talk about leicester's new manager talk about the latest transfer news and then we'll finish off with scott high or ryan low right at the end of the pod so let's kick things off with this. Darren Moore has left Sheffield Wednesday just weeks after getting them promoted and just weeks before the new season starts. The club say it was a mutual decision and his backroom staff have also departed. The Sheffield Star reports that Moore and the Wednesday chairman, Dafon Chansiri, were aligned, weren't aligned in the sort of backing that was needed to be given this summer. Justin, you texted me this news and I thought you were taking the mickey initially uh, and then I saw it was official and was just left bemused. Uh, what did you think of it? It's one of those things where you refresh Twitter and you have to double take and just go, because you'll see a comment first, won't you? And go, oh, Moore's left, Moore's left Sheffield Wednesday and then you refresh and then it's like, there's a couple more tweets and it's like, all right, let's go and see if this is actual actual verified news. And it was, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was bonkers really. And it's more so because of the timing. Um, I get that if you wanted to leave um, straight after the playoff final, but I imagine those conversations with with Chancery more wouldn't have happened until sort of I don't know I guess round about round about in the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it is staggering 
I love Darren Moore and I do think he's a, he's, a, he's a very good coach and obviously if he can't take if he feels like he can't take Sheffield Wednesday further with the squad that they've got bearing in mind that they've got I think 14 contracted players for next season um, then yeah he wants to protect his integrity and his and his um, uh, I guess his record at Sheffield Wednesday and end on a high it's just a very bitter note and it's another another um, really poor cross in the book for, for Chancery Darren Moore's the best manager he's hired since um, Carlos Carvajal. He's had a really checkered history. He's got two out of however many right in the last, well, in, in his entire reign, really. So um, allowing more slip free fingers like that and not back him is, is absolutely bonkers. But, um, you know, it leaves them on a drawing board, back to getting back to a drawing board, and, and it's it's a, it's a great shame. But Darren Moore, I think, will get a very good job again because he's, he's shown what he's United at. He's United a football club. That club was incredibly apathetic the supporters are incredibly apathetic and, and Darren Moore got it all together again um, and that, that achieving that while achieving promotion um, you can't you can't state that yeah there are quite a few crisis clubs in the championship right now and I didn't have Wednesday down as one of them but I do now if you have no head of recruitment only 14 players contracted for next season it's not a great position to be in but you can get by if you throw in not having a manager and no backroom staff then it's just farcical isn't it Mm -hmm. people may look at last season and say well Wednesday did kind of fall over the finish line they didn't play well in two-thirds of the playoffs and shut themselves in the foot with that spell around Easter time where they weren't winning games but they did have the biggest points tally ever for a third place side in League One and won so many points that it would have been enough to win the title in 11 of the previous 18 League League One seasons. He's been the first Wednesday manager to take them in the right direction for quite some time. So he more than deserved a crack at guiding this team into the championship. It's not a surprise that the reason he's gone is reportedly because of a disagreement about not getting enough backing. That was the only reason I could come up with him leaving because I couldn't see any reason why he would go if if that was the case. But the crazy thing in all of this is that Chancery says the minimum he expects for next season is top six, which is unbelievable. He expects top six, but is seemingly not going to be backing whoever's in charge, which I just can't get my head around. It's a it's a bonkers um, statement or line, isn't it? When I saw that again, it's one of those that you have to double take. Um, I I. I I can't see the Sheffield Wednesday side even with backing getting into the top six. It's not, it's not a, um, a slight against them. It's just uh, again when you consider the variables around it. No head of recruitment, for example, um, and, and only fourteen players contracted for next season. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, and they're behind. They don't have a manager, and they, you're expecting players to come in now and um, and then compete for a top six place. It's going to be one of the most competitive leagues we've had in. Sort of, the, I think the last five, ten years, really, a lot of clubs competing or, or on an upwards trajectory, like Coventry City, for example, and then there are the, you know, the big clubs that have come down from the Premier League, who are all in a good position to to make a go of it again, in terms of finances and, and current squads. So it's going to be incredibly competitive. So, so pushing for the top six just seems nowhere near. I, I'd put them behind Plymouth, to be honest with you, in terms of suitability for pushing for a top six place. And that's not a slight against Plymouth either. 
when you consider their resources, but they just seem in a much better position to make a go of pushing higher in the table than Sheffield Wednesday do at the moment. They've got no chance, I think, under under Chancery of making the Premier League. It's got to be a miracle. The closest opportunity it came uh, against Hull City in the playoff final in 2016, I think it was. Um, that's as close as they, they'll they'll get for me under Chancery, unless he puts the right people in place. He's not done that in his tenure so far, so why is he going to do it now? Yeah, well, I'm not going to disagree with that, Justin. He says the minimum expectation for him is top six. I'd say Sheffield Wednesday are much more likely to get relegated next season than finish in the top six. So the fact he's set his stall out this early and said that, despite everything that's going on, is just bonkers to me. Look, Chancery's a clown. There's no two ways about it, is there? I, I was seeing loads of Sheffield Wednesday fans singing his praises last week, last season, which I simply cannot get my head around. He's one of the worst owners in the country, as far as I'm concerned. The whole reason Wednesday got relegated in the first place was because he risked it all to try and get to the Premier League and appointed some strange and poor managers along the way. Now, he's lost their best manager since Carlos Carvajal in Darren Moore. Setting ridiculous expectations like getting in the top six next season as well doesn't help things. The club's got no manager, no backroom staff, no head of recruitment, 14 contracted players for next season. And they've also got by far the most expensive season tickets in the whole of the championship. So I don't see why Wednesday fans are settling for this. I was amazed to see them giving him a round of applause after this fan forum in midweek because... I would not want that man anywhere near my football club because I just think he's a terrible, terrible football owner. Yeah, I, th- I think he's incredibly naive. I don't think he's a terrible football owner. He's still paying the bills. You've got Reading of mispayments, for example. There are there are bad football well, owners. Yeah, yeah just are... if you're comparing him to the likes of Reading, Vincent Tan, Guachan Lai then yeah, I, I can understand it. But still, that doesn't necessarily mean he's an all right football owner. No. He's still a really bad football, football club yeah, owner. Yeah, this, this is what I'm trying to get at. He's, he's, um, you can have your heart in the right place, I think, and still do a bad job. He's just incompetent and naive. And as I say, not having the right people in place within the football club to, to really guide you as an owner... I think is where a lot come up trumps. You're going, you've got Mel Morris who did the same thing, didn't have the right people in place, spent a ludicrous amount of money and nearly liquidated a football club, a 125-year-old football club, for example. And Wigan are exactly the same. Owners didn't put the right people in place, overspent, and within two years, nearly liquidated. You've got to put the right people in place to guide you, especially if you're not at the football club full-time, um, like Chan Series. And I just think he's naive, and I think he's... as politely as I can say a bit daft with his decisions this is another one the season ticket prices is another one they still earned I think it's still got one of the biggest highest match day revenues um, in the championship should they replicate last season's revenue so fans are still going but you can understand why they're frustrated Um, again I don't think he's a terrible footballer I just think he's um, yeah just a bit daft and a really, really bad one. Uh, let's move on to Leicester, who have appointed Enzo Maresca 
as their new manager. He was Pep Guardiola's assistant for the treble-winning Man City team and has signed a deal until 2026. He was manager of Parma in 2021, but was sacked after six months in charge. But he's definitely much more well-known for what he's achieved at Man City since then. Very interesting, this one, Justin. Yeah, there are there are managers or assistant managers who <clears throat> become successors. There are assistant managers who are sacked within three months and go back to being assistant managers. Very hard to tell where Moresco will, will sit on this. You look at Kieran McKenna, for example, been a big success at Ipswich. And then you look at Paul Clement, who couldn't shake off. Um, well, he, he couldn't he couldn't make a career of his own after leaving Ancelotti's side, Carlo Ancelotti's side. Um despite going to various clubs. So there there are two sides to it. Um look he's he's had a lot of success as a as a f- football coach, not so much as a manager, but I think if you are going to pull someone away from uh, a regime, a coaching regime, you want to get someone from Pep Guardiola's camp, don't you? Because the way they've innovated over the years, the way they've tweaked things over the years, they haven't been doing the same thing over and over again. There's been subtle tweaks and sure Pep Guardiola's the leader, but he's got to have coaches who who implement that style, who implement that philosophy. And Moresco is one of them. It's a big plus. You look at Mikel Arteta, had a fair bit of success at Arsenal. He was an assistant manager uh, under under Puet. Not saying Leicester will go on to win the league again in the next couple of years or challenge for the Premier League title. But if you're going by success of Pep Guardiola's assistants, then sure. Um, then, uh, yeah, then maybe Moresco can have a, a bit of success. Tito Villanova as well. Was a was this, uh, an assistant to Pep Guardiola, and obviously he became Barcelona head coach 10, 10 plus years ago now. So there are there are examples of it working under Guardiola, um, and if he can implement his own style of play onto this Leicester team, I think they can be a force. But it just comes with caveats of assistants stepping into that into that big job. I think it's a really exciting appointment, considering some of the other names mentioned were the likes of Dean Smith, Scott Parker, <laughs> yeah. Those two may have come in and actually got Leicester promoted. But if you get someone like Moresca in, it can be the start of a project. Look, it's a gamble. There's no denying that. But I have a lot more respect for a club taking a gamble on a manager than getting in one of the same old faces we always see with these kind of jobs. There's examples of very successful assistant coaches being great appointments, the likes of Mikel Arteta, as you mentioned, Justin. Um, if you're looking a bit closer to home in terms of the championship, then Ito Karanka as well. There are also great examples of it not working, as you say. Paul Clement is a very good example of expectations for him being quite high, and it, he's not worked anywhere, has he? Having said that, being the assistant involved in one of the best teams ever, in the history of football. Not a bad thing to have on your CV, is it? And I, I may be getting slightly carried away, but this appointment is giving me Vincent Company at Burnley vibes. They've taken a risk, but he's got the pedigree to be an exceptional manager. Leicester just need to make sure he gets the backing in the transfer window because who knows how that squad is going to look next season. And that's the big thing for me now as we head towards the start of the season. Well, when you when you get a manager in place, it's just, you know that'll be the start of the recruitment drive, won't it? I know James Madison has been heavily linked with the likes of Spurs and Newcastle, and that's looking fairly likely. That's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. It's going to give them a a nice wad of cash to go out and recruit. And when you've got a manager in place, you can recruit to that philosophy and style of play. 
I do think if if Moresco doesn't work out, then they've got they they do need to continue these with the appointments of that same similar philosophy. Kamenia, it's unlikely that Moresco is going to go full Neil Warnock, Mick McCarthy, isn't it? He's he's going to want to be playing football on the ground. He's going to want to be playing a slick side of play. So making sure your recruitments along that along those lines over the next few years is is absolutely imperative. So it's about for me, it's about Leicester restarting and going again. And I think this is a start. They're going to have to reset the squad. They've they've reset their the head coach, um, and as you say, it is an exciting one. It just comes with obvious caveats, but this is the start, I think, of the the, the real drive. And Leicester, are a big football club, they've got a, a big, you know, a good amount of resource available to them. They're going to attract players to the club. It's just making sure that they they get the um, they get the decisions right because Stoke City are a prime example. If they don't get it right, they can fall into a trap and become a an obscure uh, an obscure. Um, uh, they can fall into mid table obscurity of the championship. Yeah, also quite obscure. I will also point out in that monologue you just did. Then you also called him Moresco and Moresca, um, okay. so maybe you want to nail Plenty that down that. before. Uh, <laughs> Before Which we talk about any more in the future, yeah, <laughs> uh, I will say uh, one final thing on this: that getting someone in like Maresca, I think, will attract players to the club because mm. he's such a top coach, and players will look at him and think, "I can really develop my game under this guy because of what he's done at Man City." Plus, and it's been said quite a lot since this appointment was made official, that you'd have thought Leicester will attract some players from the Man City under 23s or just as a club in general. So it, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of players come in on loan from there and look how that worked for Sheffield United last season. So one to keep an eye on there. Elsewhere in manager news, Russell Martin has finally been named as the new Southampton boss. I mean, this has been held up for weeks now, hasn't it? It may even been a month at this point or more. And it's been because of a disagreement about uh, compensation between them and Swansea. It differs if a Premier League club poaches him and Swansea have been arguing that Southampton were technically still a Premier League club when they approached him, but it looks as if it's finally been settled. Meanwhile, Russell Martin's successor in South Wales looks to be Barnsley boss Michael Duff, according to numerous sources. He's most recently guided them to a playoff final. Your thoughts, Justin Peach? I really like the idea of it. I think it's a really smart appointment. He's not a um, he's not going to play it on the ground as often as, as Russell Martin did. Um, but if you look at his track record, he, he's adapted two teams. He's taken Cheltenham from non-league into into League One consolidation, which is a very good achievement considering their budget. And that Barnsley team last season, I expected Barnsley to be batting around mid-table. I think many people did because of that huge transition and that disastrous championship season under the likes of um, Marcus Shop and, and Poyaz Bargi. didn't think I'd be bringing his name up anytime soon. But um, it just goes to show how, how, how much of an effect he had on that team. His teams are flexible as well. They're very they're very fit teams. If you're coming from a, the Sean Dyche school of football, your teams have got to be fit, they've got to be organised, they've got to be disciplined, and Michael Duff has achieved that with, with both Cheltenham and Barnsley. He's going to be they're going to be very fit if he does take the take the job. I like it. I really do like the appointment. As I say, it's not it's not in keeping with that philosophy, but he's gonna play exciting football. He's gonna have fans excited. It's not gonna be like Cooper Ball either. It's gonna be a lot more interesting. Yeah, look, I rate Michael Duff, did a cracking job at Cheltenham on a very limited budget, continued to do a brilliant job at Barnsley and was potentially a last-minute winner away from guiding them back to the championship. And 
they played really well all season, didn't they, Barnsley? In another season, which didn't have three extremely strong teams in it, Barnsley may very well have gone up. My main concern with this appointment is the style of play because Barnsley were one of the more direct teams in League One last season. It wasn't consistently hoofing the ball into the box, but it's a massive contrast to what Russell Martin was playing. That's undeniable. It's kind of like going out for food with the intention of having sushi and then changing your mind and having a carvery instead. It's it's quite the change to what you were initially going with. Cheltenham were extremely direct under Michael Duff. Maybe they had to kind of do it that way because they did have a small budget and you know they didn't have the most technically gifted players. He went to Barnsley, was still rather direct, but were capable of mixing up a bit. So it, I think it may be a bit similar to what we saw under Steve Cooper at Swansea. I know you kind of don't think it may be that justin. Um but I think it's much more likely to be that kind of way where they are capable of mixing up, maybe being a bit more direct than they are, you know, a bit more uh, patient, for the lack of a better term. I just think it may take a while for the players and maybe the fans as well to get used to because it's it's going to be a transition for Duff to get the players to play how he wants to play. Uh, and especially considering the turmoil that's been happening over the past month. It may take a while for Swansea to actually get going in the right direction under Michael Duff, but can't deny that I think this is a solid appointment. Swansea, despite the lack of success over recent years, have a very good record, actually a strangely good record of appointing managers, don't they? Graham Potter, Mm. uh, Steve Cooper, Russell Martin, now Michael Duff. They've, they've not been extremely well run over recent weeks, but they've certainly got the managerial <laughs> appointments nailed down. And I don't really know that how that works, but I, I, I do like this appointment, I've got to say. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Les Ferdinand leaving QPR and Kieran McKenna signing a new deal at Ipswich. Also, all the latest transfer news. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We're talking about some of the news from the past week in the Championship. So we've just gone through all the managerial news and this is quite a big bit of news in itself. Les Ferdinand has stepped down as QPR's Director of Football. He's been in the role since they were last in the Premier League in the 2014-15 season. In a statement, he said, this has not been an easy decision. My life is football. I love football. I want to stay in football, but I do feel this is the right time for me to step down from my position here. There have been challenging times and I have had to make some very difficult decisions, but every decision I have made has been with the best interests of the club at heart. What did you think of this, Justin? Probably the right decision. I've seen a lot of fans um, suggest that he stepped down because of a disagreement over the appointment of Gareth Ainsworth, which I would side with Les Ferdinand on this, but I think it's the right time that uh, yeah, Les Ferdinand leaves QPR. There's been a lot of frustration vented towards him from supporters and I, I understand why the, 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 again we, we talk about recruitment a hell of a lot but recruitment really is the, the bedrock of any good team and it's and it's been mostly fairly flat under under Les Ferdinand you look at the signings over recently Connor Washington for example Nasser El Kiate um, uh, trying to think of you go, more you're going back quite a distance there, yeah I know but this is how long he's been in charge and QPR have had this um 
they've not been able to spend freely because of this FFP fine, for example, and coming down from the Premier League overspending. They've had to cut the they cut their cloth accordingly and while they've done that, they've also spent unwisely the, the limited funds that they have. There have been some good transfers, don't get me wrong, but there have been, been quite a few bad ones as well. And then you look at the likes of Rob Dickey being signed for, was it £4 million when he came in? It wasn't it. It was a, it was a, a big outlay on him. Um, might not have been £4 million, but for him to go for up to a million just goes to show how, how much of a decline it's been for, for, for QPR. So I think it's the right thing to do. I think... He's he's been there a hell of a long time, and I, I think if they again if they, they they need to refresh things, I, I I agree with him. I don't think Gareth Ainsworth's the right the right manager for the for the football club, but at the same time, I think Ferdinand needs a needs a fresh start, and QPR need a fresh pair of eyes from uh, behind the scenes as well. Yeah, well, if you look back on the past eight years that he's been charged, I don't think he's done a bad job at all. Actually, he's guided the club through some troubled waters when they were in financial meltdown because of the ridiculous wages they were paying players in the early to mid 2010s. He's taken them from that and turned them into a sustainable football club. They've had an emphasis on bringing in young players and developing them and it's worked to an extent. They've had some great success stories, obviously. Everettieze is the main um, person you look to in that regard. The past season has been an absolute disaster though. Three managers nearly getting relegated and QPR are currently one of the clubs I'm most worried about heading into next season. The question is, how much is Les Ferdinand to blame for that? Because has he been the one making those decisions? I I honestly don't know. Only people up behind the scenes will be able to tell you how much of a say Les Ferdinand has had on these things. And maybe that's also played a part of it. Maybe he hasn't had as much as a say as he once had. And that's possibly one of the reasons why things have gone to pot. Maybe he has had quite a lot of a say in who they've appointed. And if that is the case, then he definitely deserves to go because it's not going very well, has it? So something had to change. And if something had to change, then a good place to start is with the person who's chiefly in charge of making the decisions. And so they therefore got to start with him, I suppose, haven't you? Um, let's go to Ipswich, where manager Kieran McKenna has signed a new four-year deal to keep him at Portman Road. It comes as he's recently been linked with the Leicester and Celtic jobs. But brilliant news this, Justin. I would have been very disappointed if he went because it feels like something exciting is being built at Ipswich. Yeah, absolutely. Again, if I'm liking it to a meme, it's that 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 face of that um, thing with the moustache drinking a cup of tea and he goes, bloody hell. Uh, that was my instant reaction. I was just completely taken aback by it because this is such a big signing for the summer. We'll point um, out, I have no idea what meme you're talking about, but carry on. Yeah, yeah people will. It looks like the Pringles can. You know, the thing with the moustache, anyway. Mm. Um, no? Okay, we'll move on. No. But as I say, I, I think this is possibly Ipswich's best signing of the summer. Obviously, there's been a hell of a lot of interest in, in Kieran McKenna from uh, the Leeds, Leicester it's going to be inevitable um, but it's going to be exciting to see how he builds into the championship season um, I, I really am looking forward to it his teams were his, his extra team was brilliant last season it wasn't as good as Plymouth obviously but it was it was so good because it's so flexible in and out of possession they can break so quickly but they can retain the ball as well they've got a mix of characters you know you've got someone like Sam Morsey in there and you've got someone who's got the technical ability of Connor Chaplin there's a lot of players who have really hit their, their peak under Kieran McKenna after flatlining for quite a long time as well. So 
there's a man management aspect in there as well. I'm really excited for Ipswich. I'm really excited for Kieran McKenna and his side. And I'm, um, yeah, they're, they're going to be one that I'm going to be really looking forward to seeing how they develop over the next couple of weeks in terms of transfers and also into the season. Yeah, it's great news, without a doubt. For me, he's one of the most exciting young managers in the country, if not the most exciting. It says a lot about how well he's done that he's garnered this much interest so early in his career. I mean, easy to forget, he's still only 37, and that's really young in manager years, isn't it? But this is also a great situation for McKenna as well, because he, he can't really lose, I don't think, while he's in charge of Ipswich because it seems very unlikely that his stock is going to go or is going to do anything other than continue to rise in the next year. For example, if Ipswich finish 12th next season, it'll be seen as a brilliant season, won't it? And you've got to remember that a quarter of championship clubs are in disarray. Half don't know what direction they're going in. So it's all set up for him to have a really good crack at doing something special next season. If he went to the likes of, you know, Leicester, for example, if Leicester missed out on promotion, then that'd be it. His stop would take a big mm-hmm. blow, wouldn't they? If Celtic don't win the SPL next season and he was in charge there, that would be a big blow to his reputation. Whereas at Ipswich, he's got this platform to continue building what he's already done in his managerial career so far. And furthermore, I think it also says a lot about taking a chance on young coaches. Look at what he's done so far. Highly rated coach, Ipswich have taken a chance on him and now he's one of the most highly sought after young coaches in the country, isn't he? So it's an approach that I think clubs should be taking more. I mean, Stephen Schumacher is a good example of it as well, to a lesser extent. And now Leicester have done it with Enzo Maresca as well, haven't they? So do it more often, football clubs. Stop appointing Scott Parker. Um, <laughs> we are becoming a bit of an anti-Scott Parker podcast, aren't we, at this point? We, we should apologise. He's, he's done it right, really, as a manager. But yeah, the point is, take a, take a chance on a young coach like Kieran McKenna and it can work wonders. And that's exactly what... Ipswich are reaping the benefits of, isn't it? Uh, speaking of managers, this is the latest with Leeds Leaders Search for one. The Athletic is reporting Daniel Farker and Scott Parker have both been interviewed for the job. Sky Sports claim Patrick Vieira is being considered as well. Carlos Corbran has been linked, but no approach has been made as of yet. Any of those managers tickle your pickle, Justin? Who would be your choice? I'll be honest with you, I am... Um almost foaming at the mouth at the thought of Daniel Farker taking that Leeds team that will be yeah Um, his record at championship level is brilliant and I don't think we've seen the best of him in the Premier League either because Norwich's recruitment in the Premier League has been terrible under Stuart ever so I think if Daniel Farker gets that Leeds job oh god yeah just imagine the the interchanges of play how quick they can be going forwards with with the team that they've already got and then adding a few signings in there as well. Yeah, they can be really exciting. Um, Scott Parker, just to throw in you know, something for him. I think he can be a good coach. He needs to cut his cloth. Oh, I said that twice now. He needs to, he needs to really um, hone his ability somewhere that doesn't have a huge budget and huge expectations. He needs to go to somewhere like... Um, I don't know, I'm going to disrespect a club by saying anybody, aren't I? That aren't Preston. Sort of, yeah, Preston. Um, a team who have been a mid-table team who need to progress and don't have a huge budget. Or a Hull, for example, uh, in, in you know, years gone by. So that, that's him. But yeah, Daniel Farker, I think, would be a, a, an outstanding appointment. He really would. And I think Carlos Colbran would be a good appointment as well. 
but him and Parker are two very different coaches. Yeah, Scott Parker is just a no-go <clears throat> for me. Don't get Scott Parker in. I think while his record is, you know, excellent and championship level, on the face of it, that is, two promotions in two seasons, and I think only Marcello Bielsa has got more points per game um, than Scott Parker in the history of the championship, if you're looking at managers with 50 games or more. Um, but Scott Parker leaves a lot to be desired for me as a manager, which we won't go into here. Daniel Parker, I'm not too sure on. Now, his record at championship level is sublime. The football, beautiful. I just get a sense he won't be able to replicate the magic he had at Norwich at Leeds. After all, he was helped massively by Stuart Webber's amazing re recruitment when he initially took the job. And then Farker's tactical limitations were very much exposed twice in the Premier League. Wasn't helped by the recruitment, but he was very much exposed as a manager. Patrick Vieira is an interesting one that I don't really know what to make of, I've got to say. Had a good, a great first season, actually, at Palace, but struggled in his second. Carlos Corbran would be the choice for me. I think he's the one who is the biggest heir to the Bielsa throne, which Leeds fans desperately crave to be filled. Can't say I would be as, as excited about any of those potential appointments as I would be with the other relegated sides. It feels as if Southampton and Leicester have been a bit more imaginative with who they've got in compared to who Leeds have been linked with. It also got to be said, they need to get a move on, don't they? Because pre-season's <laughs> not far away now. So hopefully now that the takeover's just about done, they can start getting closer to getting an appointment through the door. But at the moment, it doesn't seem like we're any closer to finding out who that manager's going to be. And there isn't like an obvious you know, number one choice at the moment, is there? Let's go to transfer news, Justin. As usual, we'll stick to mainly just discussing the confirmed deals. Otherwise, this episode would be half a day long if we talked about rumours all day. Uh, even with that being said, it maybe is a detriment to this episode because there hasn't been many confirmed deals, but still a healthy amount, healthy amount for us to talk about. We'll begin with Tyler Roberts, who's joined Birmingham City. The 24-year-old has agreed a four-year deal and reportedly signs for just under a million pounds from Leeds. Ladies and gentlemen, the thoughts of Justin Peach. I got stung last year, didn't I, when I praised the signing of him going to QPR extensively. Um, and he had a really underwhelming season. That being said, we saw what John Eustace can do with um, with a uh, well. You saw what he can do. What he can do in terms of getting the best out of players. John Rooney's had his best season since probably Wolves got promoted in um, 2016-17. I mean, he's not played much since then anyway. But he had a very good season. <clears throat> Maxim Collin was good again. Point is, he can get a lot out of players. Um, so I do think I do think Tyler Roberts and John Eustace is a very good fit. A good fit, and I think. Tyler Roberts going back to the Midlands might help, although Leeds isn't exactly a long drive away from the Midlands, so that might not be a thing. Um, but he's a flexible forward. He gives Birmingham options in that final third, and when he can when he can get going, he can be a good player. He, I don't think he's had a, a real run of games, a real run of starts in any of the teams he's played in. Um, so I don't think we've really seen the best of him, but he's got a lot of technical ability. Physically, he can cope in the Championship. Just whether or not he can stave off those injuries and, and get that consistent run of games going. If he can, good signing. If he can't, three-year, four-year burden. Yeah, he's coming off the back of a disappointing season at QPR where he didn't play well and struggled with injuries. So if you're looking at it from that point of view, you may be looking at this signing and saying, so what? However, 
I tend to think any player who's played as many games as he has at Championship and Premier League level at the age of 24, that's impressive. And if you sign him for less than a million, Mm -hmm. you're getting a bargain. 69 appearances in the Championship, 51 in the Premier League. I mean, remember how highly rated he once was. He was being tipped for big things when he was initially at Leeds. So there's undoubtedly a player in there. It's just about getting it out of him. And if you do get it out of him, Birmingham could be laughing at getting him for just a million or less than a million. It's somewhat of a big if with his injury record, but it's without a doubt worth the risk. And as you say, he is from the West Midlands, isn't he? Maybe moving closer to home, may help him out. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's definitely worth the risk and it's certainly one to keep an eye on for next season. Reese Healy has signed for Watford. The striker's been a free agent since leaving Toulouse in France. He missed most of last season after suffering an ACL injury, but scored twice in four games in Ligue 1 last season. Prior to that, he scored 35 goals over two seasons in the French second division. Previously, he'd been at MK Dons, where he scored 11 goals in 18 games. So quite an impressive goal record. I've got a bit of a soft spot for him, Justin, because he was unbelievable for me on a football manager when I took crew to the Champions League. He scored a ludicrous number of goals on the way to the Premier League. Um, but what do you make of the real life, Reese Healy? Well, he's, he was subject to a lot of... Um, all the uh, all the hipster Twitter accounts absolutely loved him. All the hipster Twitter uh, football accounts, that is. Um, absolutely loved him. Came out of goals he was scoring in, in, in France. Obviously, the, the ACL injuries is a big... Is a big well, it was a big blow to him, but you know he's, you've seen that he, his record speaks for itself over in in League Two um, about how how consistent a goal scorer he can be. A far cry from what he was at, at Cardiff City, or maybe he just didn't get a good enough chance at Cardiff City. But I think if if Watford can again, if he can get back and rekindle some of that form, Watford have got a very good player in the final third who clearly knows where the back of the net is. And I think under Ishmael, there's going to be a lot of chances and a lot of balls going into that box. And it's just about sniffing those chances out. And if he, again, if Healy can rediscover that instinct, he can score quite a few goals for Watford. It's just whether it clicks for him and obviously under Ishmael as well. But I think it's you know, it's a free transfer. He's got a good record. It's a three-year deal. It's a, it's a very, very sensible transfer from Watford, I think. I think this might be one of the most interesting signings in the championships this summer. Look, his goal record is sublime and... Having had a look at his shooting, he's consistently averaged a goal from every five shots, which is a pretty amazing average to have over multiple seasons. He's pacey as well. He just seems to be a natural goal scorer. However, coming back from a really bad injury like the one he's just had, it undoubtedly makes him a gamble, doesn't it? Whether he'll be the same player as before, who knows? He had a bit of a well. He had, he had a small spell, didn't he, in Liga last season and scored a couple of goals. So maybe that's a sign that he is still the same player. I'm also not sure how he fits into the value in Ishmael system. He's always preferred his main striker to be a big, bulky guy up front, like a Daryl DK, hasn't he? Healy isn't that. He might be playing off the striker, but he's not the kind of guy I would associate with a value in Ishmael team. Either way, I'm really interested to see how this one goes because he's had a unique career and it'll be intriguing to know what level he is at um, because he has had quite an impressive record abroad and whether what kind of level he fits into in England will be really interesting to see. Now, Plymouth have brought in Spanish defender Julio Pleguazuelo 
The 26-year-old has spent the last few seasons at FC Twente in Holland and prior to that was part of Arsenal's youth teams and was also at Barcelona. He's also Plymouth's first ever Spanish player in their history. So how about that? Now, Justin, I don't want to pretend like I knew much about this guy before he joined, but having researched him, oh my Lord, this is an unbelievable signing. Twente went on this remarkable run at the end of last season where they won nine from 13 games to qualify for the Europa Conference League. And he was a key figure playing nearly every minute in that run. But the underlying data looks really promising. And he seems to be this brilliant all-round defender who was one of the top-performing defenders in the Eredivisie when he's been playing. Also excellent on the ball, really comfortable carrying it forwards. For him to be going to Plymouth, you know, just coming up from League One, is crazy. If he signed for one of the relegated from the Premier League sides, I'd be thinking this is a good signing for them. But for Plymouth, it's amazing. I've been foaming at the mouth at how exciting a signing this is. It's going to be an absolute nightmare saying his name on a regular basis, but looks to be an excellent addition. I think um, I think if anyone's played FM over the years, he's always been one of those players you, you can pick up quite cheap. Um, <laughs> so anyone who's saying, well, you don't know who you're talking about, FM connoisseurs know. We know. Um, I mean, I'm not basing my analysis off <laughs> FM, but I, I, I'll accept it. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. But I think, um, I think physically it's how he adapts to the championship. Um, I think that's the key thing because the area to VC and, and, and championship are two very different leagues. It is very rare that those types of players can make this step across. He's a very accomplished ball-playing defender, which is a big thing in Steven Schumacher's system. So if you understand the system of which you know, Plymouth play, um, then you'll understand why they've, they've gone for this signing. So yeah, I think he's 5'11". He's probably more likely going to play on that right-hand side of, the back, of a back three. That would be my assumption anyway. Um, so I think that's going to fit very well. And obviously, they're trying to progress the ball through the thirds. He's a perfect. He's a perfect addition into that into that back three. Not an expert on him. He's five foot eleven. He's not the biggest centre off. If he's playing in a in a flat back four, he's he's probably going to struggle. But if he's in a back three, we've seen Perry Ng, for example, thrive at Cardiff at times in a, in a back three. Don't have to be massive to play that role. It's a specialist role. And again, if he's if he's accomplished with the ball at his feet and a good defender and he's good, you know, post good numbers, then that transition into the championship should be a lot easier for him. Yeah, I think it's a bit of an old school way of looking at it, thinking, oh, he's five foot eleven, he's going to struggle at centre half in the championship because I don't think that's really the case anymore. And having a looked at his data in the Eredivisie anyway last season, I think he was one of the top players in the air for winning headers. Um, will be pointed out the Eredivisie is a different league to the championship. I fully accept that, Justin, but I don't think that's anything to worry about. I just think this is a really, really exciting signing for Plymouth Argyle. Let's go to Blackburn, who have completed a double signing this week. They've signed Icelandic attacking midfielder Arna Sigurdsson on a deal until the end of the season. He's a bit of an interesting case, actually, because I think he's still contracted to CSKA Moscow, but because of the war in Ukraine, has taken advantage of that ruling, which means he can lose so I'm not sure if he's on loan or whether he's officially at Blackburn now. It's a bit confusing with that whole thing. But 
look, I don't know too much about this guy. And upon further research, I didn't learn too much more. But here's what I found. 24 years old, has played as a number 10, can play on either wing or as a striker. Joined CSKA in 2018 for 4 million euros. Had a good start in Russia, even scored against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Uh, since then, seems to have struggled a bit. Two seasons ago, he was on loan at Venezia in Italy and barely played for a side who finished bottom of Serie A. Then the war with Ukraine started and he went to play in Sweden where he scored a few goals, but it is the Swedish league. We have got to remember it's not the greatest standard. So don't really know much about this one or how it's going to go. He seems to be someone who was highly rated, struggled for the past few seasons, has found a bit of form after dropping down to the Swedish league. So who knows really, but Blackburn could do with more attacking options and this is one of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, <laughs> I hate it. I hate bringing it up, but he's another player that I pursue quite often on, on Football Manager. Um, he's, he's a good, he's a technical player. And I think if um, if Blackburn can recruit those technical players to come into and improve that final third, chance creation was a big issue last season. Control at times in games was a big issue last, uh, last season. I think that's down to the lack of technical players they had in that final third. Bradley Dack, although he, you'd probably class him as a number 10, isn't as technical as technical players can be if that makes sense he's a very good player at getting into the box and scoring goals Ben Branch Diaz is, is an exception Sam Gallagher blah blah, blah. you know you, you know what I'm getting at he's a technical player I think he's going to improve that final third if he can find form um, he had a lot of potential not quite hit the standard that he needed to hit so this could be a good move for him to, to revitalise himself so yeah it's a low move it's a, it's a steady signing and if Thomason knows him um, and he knows what he needs in his squad then it's a thumbs up isn't it Blackburn have also signed for Tess Arnhem midfielder Sandra Tronstad, the 27-year-old Norway international, has agreed a three-year deal. I've had a look at him too, a ball winner in midfield, decent pass for the ball as well. If you're looking at him from a purely data perspective, he doesn't particularly get me out of my seat. His stats are rather average for ball-winning midfielders in the Eredivisie. And personally, I also view that league as one which is generally a poorer standard than the championship. He also only has one cap for the Norwegian national team and hasn't been called up in the last 12 months. I know Norway are a football na footballing nation that's actually quite good now. They're kind of on the up, aren't they? But you'd still expect him to have more caps at the age of 27 if he was that good. So not particularly a standout signing from where I'm sitting. Could potentially see Lewis Travis head out the door. He has been linked with a move away. Seems to be kind of a similar player. Yeah, it might be opening the doors, but again, I think, um, I mean, you were just praising, I'm going to butcher his name, Julio Pozzoega, for his uh, for his move from the Eredivisie, well, just uh, canning the Eredivisie then, but I think... Yeah, but, but I will say, he was one of the top yeah. defenders in the division, whereas Tronstad seems to be very average for a ball-winning midfielder. It depends how what role he's going to play. If he's going to come in and play a squad player, then it is, you know, it's a good sign. Also, 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 on that, Twente... Were one of well, they finished the season brilliantly when uh, Julio, we'll just call him, um, <laughs> was playing, and they finished fifth. And Tronstad was semi-regular for Vitesse, who finished tenth. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's quite hard to judge ball-winning midfielders because I don't think the stats really help them massively. But um, again, Blackburn need a bit of depth in the centre of the park. Um, I think Clinton Moller struggled last season. Um, yeah, if he's if he's a if he's a ball winner and, and a good passer, I think Lewis Travis is a good ball winner. But his his decision making on the ball can be a, a lot can leave a lot to be desired at times. So if they can bring someone in who can 
who's you know pretty decent at both, and that's it. it's a good signing. But we can't judge these signings until they have a, a few weeks and a few games, and we get verdicts from Rovers fans, and we and we see the numbers as well. But at least they're making moves in the transfer window. They're bolstering a thin squad. They're, they're adding depth to the squad, and that's you know that's important. What do you mean we can't judge these signings? That's the whole point of us having a podcast, Justin. <laughs> We're here to talk about these signings. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Sunderland have brought in Benfica striker Luis Hemir Silva Semedo for an undisclosed fee. The 19-year-old has signed a five-year deal, featured for the club's B team in the Portuguese second tier in the past two seasons. Couldn't find much on him, so we'll move on. Club captain Stefan Johansson has mutually terminated his contract at QPR. The 32-year-old midfielder says it's time to move on. Played a few times for QPR last season, didn't he? But was by no means first choice anymore. And finally, could James Ward-Prowse be staying at Southampton after all? Interestingly, he was the main model for their new home kit this week. And if I'm looking at it from that way, Justin, it's a bit of a loose way of looking at it because it may mean absolutely nothing. But it would be a bit weird if he was modelling the kit just as he was heading out the door, wouldn't it? It would, but I remember Gregor Srasjak being the main model for Derby's kit launch Ooh. in 2005-2006. Um, and he was sold on deadline day for pennies. Now, I'm not saying James Ward-Prowse will be sold for pennies, but football club owners, you know, if a good bid comes in, they will turn their heads probably. So I wouldn't take it as a guarantee. He looked miserable in that shoot as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like a man who wanted to go. What did you think of the new Southampton kit, by the way? I liked it. And then I saw that they've got I saw that they've got replicate, well, not replica kits. They it's basically a template kit, and they the Nor the Norway kit's the same. I th I can't remember what team it was. Um, I think it was a team in in Holland or, or Spain. Um, it's the same. It's a lovely, lovely design, but I like unique designs, and I think Hummel have let themselves down. Yeah, fair enough. I actually like it, but I know a lot of people weren't <coughs> too keen on it. It's it's kind of based off the older. I think it's. A throwback to a Southampton kit from the 80s, but it's also very similar to that classic Denmark kit. It's, it's a the... bit too stripey for me. There's too many stripes, I think. I like it. I like it. But I, I, I find that my taste in kits is very different to what the general consensus yeah, is. It's ugly. I, yeah, I like my kits to be a bit unique. And last season, I think everyone was harping about the Norwich kit from last season, weren't they? I was mm -hmm. like, it's all right. Um, so, I don't know, maybe my tasting kits is just abysmal. Uh, let's finish off with this game of Scott High or Ryan Lowe, shall we? This is the game where Justin is going to give me three questions and four options. All I have to do is rank them in order from highest to lowest. So, first of all, Justin, can I have the first question, please? You can. You've got to rank these record signings in order. Oh, um, so, I'm just going to give you the teams, not the... Fees or players, it'll be a big giveaway if I did oh that. Um, so I'm just going to give you the sure teams. <laughs> uh, so the teams are Middlesbrough, Stoke, Huddersfield, and Sheffield United. I need to write these down. Borough, Huddersfield. Yep. Who else could you say? Sheffield United. Sheffield United and Stoke. Now I'm going to instantly put Huddersfield bottom. I think I. Don't they weren't particularly big spenders when they're in the Premier League, were they? So I can I can I, I can safely put them bottom, I think. Um Middlesbrough have spent quite a bit of money in recent years. And I reckon they're probably top. 
Um, I reckon Stoke. Stoke spent a lot of money in that terrible season that they had, possibly the worst summer in the in the history of the championship. Um, and I reckon their top signing is Benica Fobi for twelve million. I think. Now Sheffield United are an interesting one, and I'm started <laughs> to be tempted that they should be top. Mm. Huddersfield definitely bottom. I'm going to go. Middlesbrough top, Sheffield United second, Stoke third, and then I think there's quite a big drop off to Huddersfield, but I might be completely wrong. Uh, you've completely butchered that. That is damn it. <laughs> that is all wrong. So Sheffield, Sheffield United top, Sheffield United top, Rean Brewster, Rean Brewster, twenty two point oh, two million. Of course, twenty two point two million. Stoke City eight. Stoke City are then second with Gianni and Bula for twenty two million. Christ. <laughs> yep. Easy to forget. Huddersfield Town are third. Terence, really? Terence Congolo, 17.1 million. Now, if you look at their signings... Fucking hell. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. If you look at their signings over those two years, they shifted a lot of money. There's no surprise that they are where they are now. Their yep. Premier League legacy is gone. They spent well over 50 million, 60 million, I think, on Can I have players. a stab in the dark at who Borough's record signing is? My yes. first thought was Negredo, but I think he was on loan. Once he, yeah, he was alone. yeah. Is it... Uh, Martin Braithwaite it isn't who is it it's British on Belonga. oh of course it is 15 million pounds yeah for some reason I completely forgot about you know Stoke's terrible signings in the Premier League um, as well as Rian Brewster as well I was yeah. thinking Sander Berger um, yeah so I really messed that one up didn't I so did. next one please Justin next one is just a basic one. Rank these players in number of appearances in a championship. But they are slightly... They're players ever. that... Yeah, ever. Okay. But they're, they're, they're not your, your bog-standard players. They're, they're, they're good players. Uh, anyway. Okay. The players are Sean Derry, Tom Lees, David Marshall and Cole Skews. Right. So Derry, Skews, Lees, Lees and who was the other one? David Marshall. Ooh, Marshall's <laughs> a tricky one. He's been around for bloody ages. Um, Sorry, not David Marshall. I took him out. Lukas Djokovic. Bloody hell, eh? If anything, I think that might actually help me. I think Tom Lees is top. I'll say that straight off the bat. So Lees top. Duke or Skews next. I think Derry's bottom. I'll be providing no further explanation on that. <laughs> And then Duke or Skews. Got to Duke bear in mind. Duke or Skews. Got to uh, bear in mind, I got stung by Sean Derry by not realising he played for Sheffield United on a game quite a few, quite a while back. So he I might know. have, you know, he's got a career before Crystal Palace. Yeah, I know. I reckon Duke has got to be second, actually. I'll go Lees, Duke, Skews, Derry. You got two. You got Who did two. I get wrong? Uh, Derry and Skews. So Tom Lees is top with 454 appearances. Incredible yep. championship career. Underrated, I think, although he has played mm. for very average clubs, uh, average teams, I should say. He did say. very well at Sheffield Wednesday. True, true. Duke is second, 447. His longevity in championship is legendary. Sean Derry surprised me. He's, he's third. He's 440 appearances. I thought he would be more. I thought he'd be top by miles. 
And no. the same with Cole Skews, 427. Again, Cole Skews played in championship his entire career. That's what I was thinking. So I'm surprised he's not closer to the top, to be honest. That's why I was umming and ahhing about him and Duke. But that's so annoying that I was just got those two mixed up. Unlucky. Um, but I wasn't close to putting Derry anywhere other than bottom, to be honest. Uh, final one, Justin. We're talking about money. So rank these season ticket prices in order. Sunderland, Leicester City, Southampton and Coventry. Right. Sunderland, Coventry, Southampton. Who's the other one? Uh, Sunderland, Coventry, Southampton, Leicester City. Leicester, right. Um, I don't even know where to start with this one, to be honest. I'm going to go off the basis that the Premier League teams will probably be higher. Therefore, I will go Leicester, Southampton, Sunderland, Coventry. You're wrong. All incorrect. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Coventry. I, I have nothing to base that on. Uh, to be fair, I was, I, these are all good prices, I think, actually. Um, Coventry City are top £400. Okay. Sunderland is second, £390. Leicester is third, £385. Really good price. Yeah, and South yeah that Am- good. Southampton are bottom. I say bottom. They're the cheapest with £359. Good value. Really good, good value. Good. Yeah. yeah, good on you, Southampton. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, if you mentioned Norwich or Sheffield Wednesday, that I, that would have been a lot easier. million uh, pounds. Yeah, yeah, a million pounds to sit in row Z. Um, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Scott High or Ryan? Like, I still don't think I've got one right yet in this game, uh, which is really annoying. I've been so close so many times, um, but not on this occasion. I was pretty far off. Uh, but there we go. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, make sure you listen to our Second Tier Meets episode with Ipswich Town Captain Sam Morsey from Sunday. I had plenty to talk about uh, from his old clubs at you know, including Wigan, Middlesbrough, but it's also quite an interesting listen as well, even if you're not a fan of any of the clubs that he's played for. So give a listen to that. We'll be back again on Sunday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big, big, big thank you for listening. <laughs>